little bit about myself. The first time that I ever came to Win Baptist Church, I sat right back there in, in the back. Well, actually, it was before that. I was in high school, and uh, music has been something that has been in my life since junior high. I, I never knew I had a talent. Um, I opened my mouth one day and started to sing, and um, it went from there. Uh, I, I got the opportunity to sing in the choir long before I ever got to lead music here, long before I ever got to sing and worship here with you, and I love you. I love you very much. And I, I got to be a part of, of the choir to sing a, a piece of music called Handel's Messiah. And some of you will know that. Some of you, that's been over 30 years ago that I, I, I sat right back in here behind us and got to sing. And the next time that I, I, I came into Win Baptist Church, I was a member of Colt Baptist Church. I had been ordained as a deacon, and my pastor, uh, Jim Jackson, was being ordained. And he was sitting here, and I sat back in the back that night, and I thought, boy, it would be neat to be able to sing in Win Baptist Church. And I thought, you know, it'd be neat to be able to speak to people in Win Baptist Church. And now some years later, not only have I got to sing in the choir, and I love the choir. I love the music that we have. Don't we have some talented people in Win Baptist Church? We really do. It amazes me when one of us is sick on the drums or the piano or whatever, there's somebody else to step up and to do that job. And it's, it's amazing. And now I've got to, to lead worship, and tonight I get to preach. And I'm excited. And I told them in the back, I said, you better be able to move the camera around because I can't stand in one place. And I talk with my hands, and, and, and that's just how it is. God's blessed me enormously with a great family. It seems like yesterday that my boys got here. I got one that'll be 16 in April. And, and in June, my, my youngest will be 13. And used to, I didn't have to wear these. <laughs> I could see a gnat at 50 yards. I saw the game before my boys saw the game. And now my kids, they say, be still, Daddy. And I said, what? He said, I said, be still. There's a deer. And so... They're sharp. My dad raised me hunting, but he also, my mom's here tonight and, and some of my family, they raised me in church. And when I was seven years old, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior in Grace Baptist Church. Some of you may know where that's at. Some of you went to church with me back then. Some of you have known me nine months before I ever was out in this world. Okay, And I'm not going to say anybody that knows that, but you know who I'm talking about. So, um, my life has not been perfect. It's not perfect now. Um, I went through high school, started in college, and actually, something that some of you might know about me, I was, my wife and I both were started in music. And I had a full scholarship at ASU for vocal music. And I was going to be a music teacher. And the first year rocked along... And has it become more evident to me that I might end up in jail because I would probably pinch somebody's kid's head off if they talked to me the way some of them talk to you now? Now, I'm just telling you the truth. I wouldn't put up with it. My wife teaches school. My sister's in the school system. My sister-in-law's in the school system. And some of the kids have no respect whatsoever. And God said, you might not ought to do that. <laughs> you might ought to take a different turn. So I came back from ASU I started in a business administration degree, started working for Walmart. 
three of the most nightmare years of my life I spent in Walmart. When my wife goes to Walmart, I don't want to go. I have dreams to this day about Walmart. You don't understand. It was the most horrifying place to be at. Christmas time, they switched me from a stockman, which they called Code 6, to a department manager. And my, my manager said, uh, do you think that you can handle it? I said, I think I can. She said, we'll wear a tie and a shirt and slacks tomorrow. I said, okay. When I walked in, she said, you are now the department head of toys at Christmas. <laughs> I said, okay. Back then, we didn't stay open 24 hours a day. Uh, at night, they stocked all night long. They stocked the, sh uh, the, the buggies. They didn't put it on the shelf for us. So every morning when I came in, 90% of all the carts in the back, guess what they were? Toys. And I turned to my, uh, my assistant manager and I said, and his name was Doug Nallen, and we, he had a nickname, Kabuki. That was, a, that was a wrestler back then. And I called him Kabuki, and I said, Kabuki, there is no way in the world that I can get all that stuff up. He said, oh, yeah, come on. Come on, we can do it. That's like God. You look to God and you say, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And he said, oh, yes, you can. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. I'm here for you. I'm going to do it for you. I, just let me work through you. And so tonight, somebody asked me, said, are you going to give it to us? I said, with both barrels. And a friend of mine, Brother Jim Suggs, we hunt together and he said, both barrels? I said, yeah, and it's going to be a 10-gauge. And he said, I might ought to find a place to hide. <laughs> so I do have a double-barrel message for you tonight. And part of it is, is something that's been on my heart and that I've been burdened about for quite some time. And two or three weeks ago, Brother Don preached, and he talked about sin. And I had heard that scripture time and time again. And I had been in church for years. And that scripture landed on me and he said, your sin affects other people. And it flew all over me. I said, God, I can see that I've sinned against you even as a believer. But I don't want somebody else to pay the penalty because I've messed up. I don't want that to happen. I did it. I'll pay the penalty. He said, you can't pay the penalty. I've already paid it for you. I said, it's going to be different from now on. And for the last two or three weeks, the Holy Spirit has made me super sensitive to the sin in my life. And when it, it approaches me, I tell it to get away. The Bible says, draw nigh to God and he will draw near to you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I promise you, he's waiting for you to mess up. He wants, he's like a mouse. If he can get his head through the hole, his shoulders are going to follow and he's going to get a stronghold in your life before you know it. It's there. So as we look tonight, the first part of what I want to talk to you about is the seriousness of sin. The seriousness of sin. And there's not any scriptures that I'll go to directly right now. We'll be looking in, if you want to go ahead, and go to Psalm 101. 
That'll be the second half of my message. Now, I have promised that I wouldn't keep you to midnight. It wouldn't bother me to go to midnight, except for when I married my wife, I kept late hours. I'm not going to tell you anything different. And that woman has changed me. At 8.30, we go to bed. In fact, sometimes when I'm sitting in the recliner, my feet begin to curl. And I'm ready to go to roost. Now, it doesn't bother me to get up early. And Donald Jones is here tonight. Donald used to work with me. It wouldn't be anything for me to go to bed at 8, 8.30 at the fire station. But a lot of nights, he and I laid in the bunk up there at the fire station. And we talked like kids. We talked half the night about one thing or the another. And I've seen him grow spiritually. Wow. I've seen God do a work in his life that's amazing. Taking him from a man that really didn't care to a man that loves Jesus. And he keeps his family in church. And I'm proud of him. I'm proud of him. Sin's serious. And if we take it lightly, there'll be a stronghold formed in your life. We see the first instance of this in Genesis. When Adam and Eve were put in the Garden of Eden and created. What happened? They had a perfect place and they were told not to do one thing. They had the run of the whole place. It was paradise. But they were told not to eat of one tree. And they did. And so the sin of disobedience started in Genesis. By one man, sin entered the world, the Bible says. And so we see disobedience has taken place in Genesis. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, King David commits adultery with Bathsheba. You have to understand something about that story. In that time, the kings were to be out with their soldiers in war, and he was home. That was his first mistake. He should have been with his men. He went out. And he lusted. In his, in his mind, he looked on, on Bathsheba. She was across the way, and she was taking a bath. So he had already committed adultery in his heart. And then he calls for her, and it says in the Bible, they met. And out of that, there was a baby. And because of that sin that was there, that baby died. Now remember... David was a God, was a, a man after God's own heart. He was a man after God's own heart. And then to top it off, before that, he calls Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, and he murders him. So sin again. And then in Acts chapter 5, we look at the story of Ananias and Sapphira, that they had sold some property, and they went to Peter and they were going to give all that they had. And Peter said, why are you lying? He called him out. And what happened? He dropped dead. And Sapphira came in, not knowing what had happened, and she dropped dead in front of them also. See, sin's serious. Sin is serious, and why don't we take it serious? 
Galatians 6 and 7 says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that he will also reap. We're not getting away with anything. And I'm talking, I'm talking to believers. I'm talking to non-believers if you're here tonight. If you think you're sinning and you're covering up your sins by yourself when you're not, uh, nobody's around, God's always there. And he sees what you're doing. Sin is serious. The result of sin in Genesis was spiritual death. You remember Satan said, Now Eve, did, did God really tell you that you were going to die? Did he, do you really think you were going to die? He twisted it just enough to make her think, Well now, really, was I going to die when I ate that? And she died spiritually. They died spiritually that day. And what happened to them? They were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And you and I have to go through things because of that. Okay? And we also look at the physical death in 2 Samuel where David had committed adultery. And then in chapter 5, we look at the death of a man and his wife because they lied. You know, they could have gone up there. It wouldn't have been any problem to go on and said, hey, we want to give half of what we sold this to you. It was theirs. Peter said, was it not yours already? Why, why do you do this? Why do, we, why do we do this? When we know that we're about to commit a sin, why do we, why do we continue? Now, you can't tell me that you don't know. Because I believe even the unbeliever feels something in their heart that knows that they're wrong. I can remember walking by the bathroom, and my daddy would shave, and he had, I don't remember if y'all remember the razors, he had the razor that at the bottom of it you screwed, and the tops of it coming out like wings. It's the neatest thing I thought in the world, okay? And you drop the razor blade down in there, and you tighten it back up, and he had a cup, and mom may still have that cup. And that cup was porcelain, and it had uh, old spice on the side of it, I think it was. And he kept soap in it. And he would take that brush and he would lather up his face and I'd walk by and I'd watch him shave. I thought it was awesome until I started shaving. <laughs> and mom still got that cup. And I remember coming by that bathroom one day and I said, Dad, what's the age of accountability? And he stopped. And he turned and he said, Son, there's not really an age. It's the point in time where you know that God's calling at your heart. He's knocking on your door, and he's saying, you know what's right. You know what's right. You know what's wrong. It's time. It's time. And at seven years old, I gave my life to Jesus at Grace Baptist Church. My mom and my dad did not walk me down the aisle. They will tell you, my family will tell you, I have been... Uh, since I was a small lad, uh, easily uh, invited to talk to people. I have been given the gift of gab, some people say. And it wasn't anything for my dad to take me out with grown men, and we would talk. And I can remember one day talking to a, to a gentleman, and after he had told the story, and, and, and mind you now, I'm 10, 12 years old, maybe younger, and as he told this story, his name was John Drury. And we were down on, in Pine Tree, because that's where we used to hunt all the time. And as he told the story, after he got through, 
I said, I've heard the wind blow before. And the whole group of the men died laughing, except for my dad. And my dad turned, and if y'all ever knew my dad, my dad's a pretty good, good-sized fellow, big red-headed fellow. And at that time, he was a giant to me. His fists looked like they were this wide. But, you know, he was good to me. But he was about to be serious with me. And he turned and looked at me, and before he could scold me, those men in that circle said, you leave him alone. He was blowing a lot of air. So my dad showed me a lot of different things. And when he talked to me about that that night or that day, I can remember getting up, and I can remember the preacher preaching on hell and what hell would be like. Now, understand this. Hell is just as real as heaven is. Hell is talked about in the Bible a lot more than it is in heaven because God does not want anybody to have to go to hell. You know, we send ourselves to hell. It's not him. He pursues us. If you think that you're so good that you came to Christ because you thought you were good enough to do it, you better check yourself because you're not. None of us are. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the word says. But it also tells us, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so I walked that aisle that night, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. My mama didn't hold my hand, and my daddy didn't hold my hand. And I knew exactly what I was doing. Just as down through my life, when I got away from God, God grabbed me a hoe, took me to the back, and he gave me a spiritual whipping. If you've never been to the woodshed with God, you know what? It's an experience you won't forget. Now, some of you guys have never been to the woodshed. Just raise your hand if you've ever had a whipping and you're in here. Oh, come on, folks. Okay. Now, my dad, I have to tell this story about whippings. My dad, he believed in the Bible, and my mama believed in the Bible. And I've seen my mom grow spiritually since my dad left this world more than anybody I know. She has grown and become strong in the Lord. And I saw my dad believe in the Bible because he, it says in the Bible, spare the rod, hateth the child. My daddy did not hate me. Now, my daddy didn't beat me by any means, but he whipped my tail when I needed it. And one time, we're talking about sin and cause and effect, my sister and I, Played softball and baseball all throughout the years. My mother coached softball. My dad umped. I, uh, he, played, he coached my baseball teams. I played baseball up until the time I couldn't play baseball anymore. And my sister knew that I couldn't outrun her. So one day, we had done something. Probably I had done something to her, if I remember right. And Mama never would slap us in church because it made too much noise. So as we were sitting next to each other in church, if I did something wrong, she just folded her arms and she would pinch me right there. Now, I'm telling you the truth. That hurt. It hurt bad. And my face would turn red and I made the, the, the awful mistake of saying, why'd you do that one time out loud? Well, she took me outside and explained it to me. Going back to the story, uh, I didn't do that anymore, I promise. But my sister came by me, and she pinched me, and she took off running. And I thought, I can't catch that long-legged woman. And there was a softball laying there. 
And I grabbed that softball, and I was pretty good with a softball, and I caught her mid-stride, about 10 steps right between the shoulder blades. She went down like a dove. My daddy come out of that house, and he began to lecture me about what I could have done to her. Because my sister had major surgery when she was a small child on her kidneys. At that time, I didn't care. All I wanted to do was hit her with that softball. But after Daddy got it through explaining it to me, I understood. He didn't take me to the woodshed. He first told me to go down to my room, back in my room, and lay across the bed. I thought, it's coming now. And as he come back there, he explained to me in no uncertain terms and that I could have hurt my sister bad. And I realized that after that. Not because he, he whipped me, but because I was wishing for shorter sentences because every time he said a word it was a lick with the bell I told you and I thought Lord please let it be a short sentence <laughs> now I promise you I felt like that the belt was was hitting the ceiling okay and coming down on me I never throwed another softball at my sister that was an impression that was made upon me but God will take you to the woodshed and he'll whip you and just like my dad he'll say I love you but you can't do that you can't do that. You know better. I love you, but there's going to be a price that you pay because of sin. There's a price that we're going to pay for sin. So why do we as believers treat sin so lightly? Why do we do that? We've allowed things to come into our society that we would never, ever have, that it could never have been before. If you look at what's going on in our society, you can't turn on the television without somebody saying something about having sex with somebody. They glorify, have, uh, uh, one show glorified cooking crystal methamphetamine. And it was a hit show. When I was a kid, the most racy thing that I ever watched was Tarzan. And y'all think, oh, Tarzan. Now look, Jane and Tarzan, that was the top bill with me. We watched Tarzan all the time. And I used to love to watch the elephants. And I didn't realize till I was older that a lot of those elephants had paper mache to make their elephants, uh, the ears bigger. If you'd watch, some of y'all don't even know who Tarzan is. <laughs> so there's a price to pay, and we've allowed too many things to come into our life. And, and as Christians, the church, we failed. We failed because, and I, I'm pointing my fingers at me, because we've allowed it to happen. We've allowed prayer to be taken out of schools. We've allowed Supreme Court justices to tell us that they recognize gay marriage when we told them in, in a vote that we didn't, and yet they know better. We have allowed our TVs to turn on and filth to come in our lives. And we wonder why we're here where we're at. When I went to church at Cope Baptist, I had a spiritual mentor. His name was Charlie Bradley. And he's gone to be with the Lord now. Love that man. Love him, love him, love him. And sometimes I still pick up the phone to call him. 
and think, well, he's, he's beat me there. He told me, he said, Brother Gerald, if I go before you, I want you to sing the lighthouse at my, my funeral. I said, okay, Brother Charlie, if I go before you, I want you to preach my funeral. He died a couple of years ago, and I got the honor and the privilege of singing at his funeral. One of the greatest home goings I've ever been to. It wasn't sad, because I know he's at the feet of the king. Because I know what he stood for. And I know what he preached. And he made an impact on my life. And if he was sitting right here right now, he'd be hollering, Amen, go Brother Gerald. I can hear him right now. And I feel the prayers of the church. I've had lots and lots of people talk to me this week and tell me they were praying for me. I appreciate that. I didn't have any fear tonight when I came to talk to you at all. Because if I can stand up here and miss notes and sing and lead y'all in worship and act like I'm about to fly off the stage sometime, I certainly can come talk to you. Singing's about passion. Talking to people and making people feel good. Letting people know about the Lord. That, that's a passion. And you know what? We're all called to do that. We're all called to do that. Not just Brother Don. He's our pastor, but it's, it, it, it says it in the Word. It's not just Dustin, Brother Dustin. It's not Mike's. It's not Brother Todd's. It's us. We're called to go out, and we're called to be salt and light to a world, not pepper. Does pepper preserve? No. Salt in that day and time was traded like money. And salt preserved things. But we act like pepper sometimes. And at Colt Baptist Church, I had a friend. His name was James Haynes. And James Haynes would come up to me. And you just have to understand, Brother James, he's gone to be with the Lord. He said, Brother Gerald? I said, yes, Brother James. He said, you want to know what's wrong with Colt Baptist Church? I said, yes, sir, I do. He said, then look in the mirror. Win Baptist Church, you want to know what's wrong with Win Baptist? Look in the mirror. It's us. It's us. It's got quiet in here now. It's got quiet because you know I'm right. Because it's my problem, too. See, if we were doing what God asked us to do, there wouldn't be a, there wouldn't be a place in this, uh, an open place here. But we're not doing what God asked us to do. We're too comfortable. We're comfortable because we've got a good place to worship. We've got a good pastor. In fact, we've got good staff. And I have thoroughly enjoyed Brother Tommy Vincent coming and speaking to us. But you know what? What amazes me more than anything is Brother Don's been preaching the word day in and day out. And yes, Brother Tommy did a great job. But he didn't tell you any different than what that man's been telling you every Sunday morning and night. Why does it take somebody else to come in? It shouldn't. And I had to keep up the tradition since Brother Don always brings props. I brought props of my own. And so, the next part of this is, and let me see if I can reach down in here and find what I'm looking Oh, yeah, I can. You know, church people, sometimes they live like it's in a fog. I remember two or three mornings ago, it was real, real foggy when you got up. 
You know, 6 o'clock does come twice a day, folks. Some of you don't know that. I, there's a certain individual here in this, this sanctuary. I love her to death. And I see her, used to see her all the time before I started working out of town. But she'd be delivering her kids to school, and she loves coffee. This woman loves coffee like nobody's business. And she curls her coffee cup up like a baby. And she drinks it. And I said, you know what? You love that coffee. Her husband, her husband told me, he said, you know what? I, I could probably get away with anything, but if I took away her coffee, I'd probably have to find another place to live. <laughs> and I, I, I love her very, very much. And she knows who I'm talking about. Y'all probably know who I'm talking about. It. But we live in a fog. We live in a fog. So sometimes we've got to have a light to guide us. Because even though we're Christians... We're, we're in a fog, and we don't even realize what's going on. We can't see the forest for the trees because we're so involved in church. We're working in church, and we're not worshiping in church. There's no reason why that Wind Baptist Church doesn't have two and three teachers for every classroom that they've got. There's no reason why. But I've been on that committee to try to find people to teach, and guess what? It's like pulling hen's teeth. If they know that you're on the nominating committee, it's almost like you have the plague. And the same ones serve over and over and over and over. You're not too old to serve. God's not through with you yet or he'd already taken you home. Just because you've taught Sunday school two and three times doesn't mean that God is, can't use you still. And some of you say, well, I'm so tired. I, I've got to have a sabbatical. I've got to have a break. Well, that's fine. Take a break and then come on back. There's plenty to do at Wind Baptist Church. So we live in a fog a lot of times. Sometimes we just play church. We come. Somebody asks you how you're doing. You say, I'm doing fine. When you know five minutes ago, you and your wife were in a marital discussion in the car. Now, y'all know what marital discussions are? That's a baptistical way of saying we were fighting like cats and dogs. Now, I'll tell you this. Kylie and I don't have a perfect marriage. We're coming up on 20 years of being, being together. Uh, she'll tell you that I, we had a long engagement, but I ran as hard as I could, finally got tired, gave up. But it's important to know that I love her very, very much. Uh, she is a great wife, a great mother, and, and I thank God for her every day that she puts up with me because I'm hard to put up with. She and, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I knew I was going to get a response from her for that. <laughs> I lost my whole train of thought then. <laughs> <laughs> yes, help me. Uh, but the one thing about it is um, that little man that stood up there and, and, and was baptized today and what he said about his dad and what he said about God. The words of, the, of, of our Lord Jesus Christ said, out of the mouth of babes. He spoke the truth. 
as young as he is, he spoke the truth about how God is to him. Now, how many of you know what grace is? What is grace? God's favor. You, you, getting something you really don't deserve. Okay, we don't deserve it. So, uh, Brother Don either was looking at my notes this morning, or God is just intervening because as he preached this morning and talked about somebody about out in the ocean and, and drowning and fighting off their rescuer, and then he goes to get some, I thought about this. And I'd already been thinking about this, Brother Don, so I, I don't know whether to say great minds think alike or God is good. Let's just say God is good. But we use grace like a life jacket. We sin and we say, well, you know, God will forgive me for that. We throw the life jacket out, but we don't ever put it on. We don't ever put it on. And we do it continually. And before it's over with, not only do you need a life jacket, but you need a rope, a lifeline. You know, see, Jesus never, never, ever moves. It's always us. When we walk out from under his umbrella of grace, it is us. He is the only constant in your life. And so you reach for the rope now. You've got to tie it on to yourself because he's got the other end. It amazes me even more when I have people that go to church with us, and some of them don't anymore, and they come up to me and they say, well, I'm just not getting fed spiritually. Can I tell you what I think about that? That's garbage. Number one, it's not Brother Don's responsibility to feed you. God gave you the word. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is there. Do you eat three times a week? Now the answer is no, because I can look at some of you and tell. You can look at me. You eat regularly, don't you? But yet when we get ready for something that's coming up in our lives, a storm that's coming up in our lives, we wonder where you're at, God, and we're spiritually anorexic because we hadn't fed. We hadn't got up and used the Word got in the Word, and read the Word. We hadn't taken time and we hadn't prayed to God and asked Him, what are you trying to show me? Are you trying to show me something through this trial? What are you trying to show me, God? Because He uses everything. He uses everything. And so we're spiritually anorexic. So Paul talks about this. This is my last one, Brother Don, and I kind of hate it. But it's a baby bottle. And I know when my wife went into wherever she went and she bought a baby bottle, people were looking at her. You know, brother, if my wife, <laughs> if somebody come told me my wife bought a baby bottle and some diapers, I would be praying, Lord, I hope she's going to a shower. <laughs> now, I would welcome another one, but this head would be slick and the mustache would be falling out. But Paul says we're still on the spiritual, we're on milk. And we ought to be eating meat. 
Some of you have been in here for years. You've been saved for years, and you still got a bottle in your pocket. And you're still drinking milk, and you should be sitting at the table of the king eating meat and telling other people, and discipling other people. When I said it, it, it's what's going on in Wind Baptist Church, we're not discipling people like we need to. We're not, we, we get them saved, and we get a number in the pew, and we say, great, we've had 10 baptisms. And then we turn around and wonder why two years later they're not in the church. It's because we dropped the ball. We didn't take them alongside and say, hey, God loves you. You've got to get in the Word daily. You've got to pray daily. You've got to be on your knees before a holy God and confess your sins. Because 1 John 1, 9 says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the, that's the saved folks, church. See, you're going to have sin in your life and you don't get that cleared out of the way. That's like locking your four-wheel drive truck after you already got in the, in the mud and getting stuck. It's too late. You should have planned before. You've got to get those things clear. You've got to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can have a head knowledge and not a heart knowledge. And so I, I encourage you that if you're still on milk, you need to drop the bottle. You need to get busy. Psalms 101. Psalms 101. That was the first barrel. The second barrel of this is a commitment to holy living. Now we know that this particular psalm was written by David. And we know that the sword never left David's house. If you look at his life, he had wars in his life that he had to fight. His kids turned against him. The people turned against him. He had problems constantly. So I'll be reading out of the King James Version. And it says, uh, verses 1, it says, I will sing of mercy and judgment unto thee, O Lord. I will sing. He is praising God. How many times when we pray do we go into a list of things that we need before we ever say thank you, God? Got to tell him thank you because you wouldn't be here today if it were not for him. If it were not for the blood of Christ, you would not be here. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. He took all the sins of the world upon himself when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, God in flesh, to the cross, and he died. So David begins as he will says, I will sing of mercy and judgment unto thee, O Lord, I will sing giving him praise. He goes into verse 2 and he says, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. Now, perfect translated there is blameless because we know that we are not going to be perfect this side of heaven. And so I look at that as integrity. Integrity in that doing what you're supposed to do when no one's around. Like Brother Don talked about this morning, your taxes, when you're filling out your taxes, if you don't fill out everything that you've made, then you're lying. That's just straight out, and you've sinned. You've not sinned against the government. You've sinned against a holy God, and it goes down that far. 
that I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. You know, I think about when we go home tonight and you turn on the television, what will you be watching? If Jesus came to your house tonight and opened up your refrigerator, would you be ashamed? Would you be ashamed of the magazines that you have in your house? Would you be ashamed of the movie that you took your kids to or you went to yourself because you said your kids couldn't go watch it because it was R-rated? That's a double standard. It didn't work that way, folks. Would you be ashamed? Or would you say, Master, come on in the house. There's nothing in here for me to hide. You know, as Baptists, we jump on folks for a lot of different things. One of the ones we jump on so much is about drinking. But can I tell you this? There's a lot of different things that we need to be looking at. You know, drinking's not the only one. There's a lot of things. If you defile the body in any way, God is this it's a temple. When God comes to live inside of you, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that means this is your his temple. And anything that you do to tear this temple down is against God. See, there's no halfway. You're either for God or you're against God. You're either for God or you're against God. He says, I, a froward heart shall depart from me. I will, know, uh, I will not know a wicked person. Froward here is translated perverse. You know, the internet is a great thing, but it's a two-edged sword. And he's saying he's not going to put anything in front of him that's wicked. Our TVs, our games that we let our kids play, the internet is filled with filth that comes inside our house. And David said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to have that. I'm going to put that away from me, and I've committed myself to being holy. A committed, holy life. It says, Whoso privately, privily slandereth his neighbor, him I will cut off. Him that hath a high look and a proud heart will not I suffer. Now let me ask you this. As a deacon, one of my jobs as a deacon is to minimize the murmuring to the max. You know what that means? That means when I hear somebody chomping at Brother Don, if I hear it, I quench it because I stop it right there. If you have somebody that is slandering another church member, it oughtn't to go any farther than you. You ought to stop it right where it's at. Because all it does is a festering wound that continues to grow and grow and grow. And what happens is we have disassociation in their brethren. And God says it's an abomination for us to slander one another. Now, if you think that you hadn't done it, you need to ask for forgiveness because you have. You might not have spoken it, but you've thought it. God says it's as much as you've done it already as you think it in your heart. I'm asking you for Wynn Baptist Church to come together. Stop this old petty stuff. If somebody comes to you complaining, say, brother, I'll pray for you. 
Stop it right where it's at. Don't repeat it. Don't fan the flames. Because when you do, the fire rages and it continues to burn. Stop it right where you're at. It also says, uh, Him that hath a high look and a proud heart will I not suffer. Now, I've, I've talked to a lot of people about coming to Wind Baptist Church. And the first thing that they've told me is, well, that's the big Baptist church. We need to break that. We need to break that. Because people are scared. People are scared of us because this is a big building. And when, when Connie and I came to church here and the boys were little, I knew the first day I walked into Wind Baptist Church, this is my home. I knew it. I began to walk the, the pews and talk to people that I had worshipped with and gone to church with all my life. I knew I was home. Connie was not settled. Connie had been raised in a small church, and we had come from a small church. But as time grew along, we, she told me, she said, I'm ready. I'm ready to join church. And I've loved every minute since. But you know what? Sometimes Wind Baptist Church may have some folks that's got a proud look on their face. Maybe just a little bit. And can I use the word uppity or stuck up? And you say, nah, he's gone to metal. The reason I say that is because there ought to be a person that walks through that door. We don't shake their hand and say, hey, my name is such and such. Glad to see you. We can't. If you have a grudge against somebody when they walk through that door, your heart's not right. Do you not realize in the lineage of Jesus there was a harlot? Her name was Rahab. Do you not realize that David was in the lineage of Jesus and he was an adulterer and a murderer? We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's nothing righteous about us. The only good that is in us is Jesus Christ. There's nothing good about us. We could have gone here for years. We could have been saved for years. And still, I'll tell you that the only thing good about Gerald Britton is Jesus Christ. There's nothing that's good about me. Nothing at all. So we don't need to be proud because Jesus loves you and there's nothing that you can do about it. Do you know that Jesus loves you and he loves the man that sits here or the man that's on the street dealing drugs? He loves them just as much. He died for all of us. So we, we have no reason to think that we're any better than anybody else. But we're called. We're called to be salt and light in the world. We're called to have a commitment to holy living. We're called to walk across the street and say, hey, brother, I love you, I miss you, I don't want you to die and go to hell. Let me tell you about the time I met Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. We're called. It's not just Brother Don's job. It's not the staff's job. It's us. It tells us that. Said he hath, uh, says, My eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me, 
He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. And he's talking about his kingdom now here, his earthly kingdom. This is a picture of David in his personal life and then his kingdom. And it says, He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. He's not going to put up with that. And we shouldn't put up with sin. We shouldn't put up with sin in our own lives. You know what? You need to take care of your life before you start to worry about anybody else's. The Word tells us that, that you need to worry about the timber that's in your eye instead of worrying about the splinter in the other man's eye. If we'll stop it and take care of ourselves, God's going to take care of the rest. He says, I will early destroy all the wicked of the land that I may cut off the wicked doers from the city of the Lord. You know, as, as Brother Don asked me to preach, and that had landed on me big time, which you had said in, in that uh, worship service several weeks ago, about this sin and its, its results. I began to think about that, and it has changed my life tremendously. And when Brother Don texted me, he said, Brother, can you, you think you want to, he didn't see you think you want to, he said, can you preach for me on the 13th? I said, I can't, Brother Don, I'm on duty. Immediately, he texted me back. I thought, well, I've lost my opportunity. Because, listen, Baptist preachers don't give up the pulpit. If he ever gives it up on AM service, you better check him. They kind of they want to hold on to it, okay? And there's nothing wrong with it. I praise God that he's here. But he, called, he texted me, and he said, can you do it the 13th? And I said, no, I can't. He texted me right back. He said, how about the 6th? I said, you betcha. He said, let's do it. And ever since that he texted me, I've been thinking about what God wanted me to say tonight. And I was excited. I was excited to stand before you and tell you, I love Jesus Christ. And I want you to love Jesus Christ. And I want you to take it seriously when you sin that you've got to ask for forgiveness and get yourself right with God. See, when Baptist Church can change when, it can change Arkansas. We can change this. And it's not about numbers. It's about knowing Him and making Him known. I thank God for folks like the Bowens that have sacrificed and gone overseas and are preaching the Word to people that don't know Jesus. But you know what's so sad? The third largest mission field in the world is the United States. And we don't even want to get up and walk across the street and tell our neighbor about Jesus. That's sad. If you had the remedy to cure cancer, and you knew it would, and you didn't ever tell anybody about it, and hundreds and thousands of people were dying, it's on you. Can I tell you something? When you don't tell people about Jesus, their blood's on your hands. Their blood's on your hands. If you walk past them and the Holy Spirit's convicted you and said, hey, you need to talk to them about going to church. You need to ask them if they ever knew Jesus. You need to tell them what Jesus has done in your life. 
and you walk away. The next time you see them, it may be in a funeral home. And you may say, I blew it. I blew it. I didn't tell that person about Jesus. Because, see, the only Jesus people see is the Jesus that's in you. I'm afraid we've become a tolerant society. We tolerate things that we shouldn't tolerate. We tolerate sin. We've allowed things to go on in our society, in our churches, and we haven't addressed it. And that's the reason there's 6,000 people in Wynn, Arkansas that's not in church tonight or in this room. Because we are not making enough difference in between ourselves and those that are not in church. But we are called to be holy. We are called to work, be the salt and the light of the world. What grieves me more about our church than anything is that when Brother Don or Dustin or Brother Todd or Brother Mike preaches and he preaches the word or Brother Tommy Vincent preaches the word, this is the loneliest place in the sanctuary. Now, I know what's going through your mind, and I'm closing. I know what's going through your mind. You say, I can do business with God right where I'm sitting. Yes, you can. You don't have to be in church to be saved. My father was, was saved on his knees in a hotel room when he was working away. He was saved. So I'm not telling you that you can't be saved anywhere that God wants to save you. But I can tell you this. It may take one person coming down the aisle to get on their knees and get in prayer before God about things that are going on in their life to make the next person come, to make the next person come, to make the next person come. And before you know it, this, ought to be, this carpet ought to be wore out. This carpet ought to be wore out. And I started tonight, and I didn't. I started to put cones up here with caution tape because it's almost like it's forbidden for somebody to come to this altar and pray sometimes. And the Word of God's being preached time and time and time and time again and the pastor stands right here and nobody comes and I'm just as guilty. We need to do business with God. If we want to change Wind Baptist Church, we need to change us. We need to change ourselves. And then when we change, we encourage others. So as we close tonight and we bow our heads in prayer, I... I never, ever thought that I'd ever get to preach in Wind Baptist Church. But God brought me to this place for a reason, and I don't know why. I had somebody ask, somebody ask me the other day, said, are you coming in view of a call? I said, no, but I don't know. I don't know what God's going to do in my life. So as you bow your heads tonight, I, I just want you to bow your head just for a second. As our musicians come, as we get ready for our invitation time, just take a moment and ask yourself, are you doing business with God or are you playing church? Are you really doing business with God or are you playing church? If God was to come back tonight, if Jesus Christ split the eastern sky open 
and he called the dead in Christ first and then the rest, would you be one of those ones? If you're not sure that you're sure that you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior tonight, get it right. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Father God, we love you so very, very much. And Father, we know that you know that we're made of clay. And Father, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is in us as believers from the moment we say, God, I need a Savior. But Father, we need to take sin seriously. I pray, Father, that tonight that the conviction of the Holy Spirit will fall on us in such a way, Lord, that we would be super sensitive to the Holy Spirit and what He is saying. Father, we ask for Your will and Your way tonight as we come before you and we continue to worship God I'm not perfect but I love you and I, I love you because you first loved me and so God we thank you and I pray tonight somebody's life would be changed in Jesus name we pray Amen you stand with us pastors will be up front here if you need to do business with God come to the altar I'm asking you to come to the altar and do business with God.